Hello and welcome to series two of the Facing Up podcast with me, Luke Grenfell Shaw. In 2018, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And since then, I've made it my mission to make the most of each and every passing day. This has led me to cycle on a tandem from Bristol to Beijing. COVID got in the way and I had to take a break, but now I'm back on the road. Before you hear this episode's conversation, here's a little snippet of what has happened to me on my travels over the last week. I feel like in this past week, I've made a lot of progress. I started in Austria, went all the way through Slovenia, and I'm now in Croatia. There were some tough days in Austria with a bit of climbing, and it reminded me just how difficult it is to get Chris the Tandem up a hill. There have been some real high points, and they have been, really for me this past week, the sunrises and the sunsets. On a couple of evenings, the sky has been red and orange and blue, and then you start seeing the moon and the stars, and to be immersed in nature and surrounded by that has been very special. I saw one incredible sunrise in Slovenia, and more of that later. One of the challenges of this past week has been the mosquitoes. Each night I try and find somewhere uh, to camp near a stream. I do like a wash at the end of the day. I've got quite good at um, stripping off, dipping into the stream, getting some uh, soap on me and feeling a little bit cleaner at the end of that. Now, of course, the flip side, if you're near a stream, is it tends to be a little bit of a damp environment. And who else likes a damp environment? Well, that's the mosquitoes. And so uh, my first night in Slovenia, I was on the banks of the river Mura and next to a pipe that was putting out uh, mineral water very high in iron. So the ground had turned a rusty orange color. So I didn't drink the water, but I did wash in it. But as soon as I got out, and in fact, before I got in, there were just swarms of mosquitoes all over me. So as soon as I'd cleaned off, scrammed some food, I just dived into the tent and remained there for the rest of the evening. So it's a bit of a catch-22. I haven't worked it out, but I think soon the seasons will turn enough that the mosquitoes go. But it's going to mean washing outside is a little bit more of a challenging and unpleasant experience, or bracing experience, let's say. I've really enjoyed cycling at a more relaxed pace since I've restarted the ride. Being able to respond to who I meet, what I see, and to try and make the most of what is around me. However, I still really find myself grappling between wanting to make distance, being fixated on, I want to get to this certain destination at the end of the day, and then being open to these opportunities around me. In essence, I'm trying to get better at stopping. And I was rewarded earlier this week when I was in Slovenia. I seem to enter Tuscany. That's what it felt like. I was in these rolling hills which were just covered in vines. And I kept on passing these signs to Gradnictvo, uh, which is like a vineyard. And I just kept on passing them and I was like, well, you know, this is hilly enough as it is. I don't want to make this any more difficult. After a while, I just passed another sign, Vinogradstvo Stampar, Stampar. And I was like, well, you know, I'm never going to actually get another better chance to, to visit these places. I'm kidding myself if I'm going to be coming back to Slovenia anytime soon. So on, on a whim, really, I turned right. I headed up the road. 
I tried to find this vineyard. It wasn't obvious. There was a collection of perhaps um, seven or eight houses, and I tried to have this conversation with this babushka, and I was like, "Where's the Where's the vinogradnica?" And she sort of shrugged. And at one point, I might have been quite put off by that, and I was like, "Right, I can't see it. This is game over. I'll carry on to my destination, Varajdin." But I actually you know, went and did the very difficult thing of asking another person. And then I found where the vineyard was. And I think one thing I want to draw out of this is that one of the most difficult things I still find is talking to people out of the blue with no introduction. Each time I do it, there's a little, it's like I'm on a diving board and like a high diving board, and you don't know if you're going to jump off it. There's that kind of like little excitement in the pit of your stomach and the very easy waves of backing out. Pretty much all the times I have, um, you know, screwed my courage to the sticking post, or whatever the phrase is, um, it's paid off. And it's been a really lovely interaction. And the times when nothing particular has happened, well, I haven't lost much anyway. I ended up spending the night at that um, vineyard with uh, Yerni, who showed me all his different wines. We drank a lot of um, spritzer, and surprisingly enough, I felt okay the next morning, which is just as well, because Yerni woke me up early in the morning to watch the sun rise, and it was an incredibly special moment. The sky began to lighten and lighten as we waited, and then there were some streaky clouds lit above that turned into these golden streaks as the sun lit them from behind. And then there was this very special moment when the golden globule of molten gold just appeared above the hills, and the sun was there. And that was just very, very special for it to have been no sun, and then suddenly the warmth and the promise of the day ahead uh, rose above the hills. And it was just the most amazing way to start the day. I also was lucky enough to visit Zagreb uh, this weekend. And I want to share two things with you from there. First of all, if you're ever in Zagreb, go to the Museum of Broken Relationships. It doesn't sound like much fun, but it is perhaps one of the most interesting museums I've been to in the last five years, and one that is very thought-provoking and poignant. For me, the most striking exhibit was an old bicycle that had been thrown out in favour of a new one, and alongside that, an old relationship discarded for another one. Don't worry, Chris, I'm not going to leave you. We're getting to Beijing together. The second thing from Zagreb was a fascinating tour on the what was called the Croatian Homeland War. And Luca, our guide, told us many, many things that I'm not going to try and summarize in a few seconds. But what was very striking to me is that there were times when there were air raids and they had to hide in the shelters. And he was just a kid at the time. And for him, what we might have thought as a very scary time, he actually remembers with very fond memories because that was a time that he got to play with his toys with all the other kids of the neighborhood. And I think it's fascinating. The associations that we can have are not straightforward. They're not necessarily the ones that we think. 
This week on The Tandem, I'm joined by a really good friend, Michelle Tran. And I thought it'd be really interesting to talk with Michelle briefly about why she wanted to join Bristol to Beijing. I've always had the sense of adventure, but from a distance, you know, looking through social media, looking at these personalities, influencers, whatever you call them, pursuing, you know, lifelong um, adventures. And here I was in my house just, you know, admiring what they did, but never really thinking that, you know, adventure is possible for everyone. And so when the opportunity, or really the thought of joining on the cycle was possible, and this sense of adventure that I've always been seeking was, you know, within reach, I, I thought, you know, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's go for it. You're not going to find many opportunities to join a friend on their cycle from Bristol to Beijing in probably a long time, maybe a lifetime. So, yeah, why not? I have the time and or at least I made the time and hopefully, yeah, and hopefully it all goes well because I think I'm, I'm just really, really excited to make this adventure reality for me. Awesome. And I think we're going to check back in in a week to see how the adventure has gone for you. And both of us. <laughs> Are we still friends? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. You've heard a little bit about the challenges that I faced over the past week. Now it is time to hear from this week's guest about how they faced up to their own challenges. This week, I am joined by Carla Molinero, who is fresh off the back of a challenge which is kind of a bit difficult to get your head round. Finishing on July 28th, 2020, Carla ran from Land's End to John O'Groats. That is 874 miles, the two furthest points on the UK mainland in 12 days, 30 minutes and 14 seconds. Let's just take a moment. That is ridiculous. So it's 70 plus miles a day. And I think what kind of put this into perspective with me was I thought I was doing pretty good. I did this run along the Southwest Coast path around about the same time, actually. And I thought doing 35 miles, 40 miles was a pretty good effort. I've been blown out the water by Carla. And so I'm really interested to have this discussion to see how she dealt with the challenges of brutalizing her body and where that mental strength comes from. Carla is a GB ultra runner, does a lot of training in South Africa, and I'm really excited to chat to you today, Carla. Thank you so much for joining the Facing Up. Thank you for having me on. So to start with, you were doing crazy mileage. You were doing 70 plus miles a day for 12 days. What was the biggest challenge for you on doing Land's End to John O'Groats? Um... For me, I think the biggest challenge was actually the last 24 hours when I just couldn't run anymore and I just got frustrated. You know, that was, I wanted to run and, you know, this was a running project and, yeah, all of a sudden I was ground to a walk. So, yeah, for me, it was the biggest challenge, but luckily it happened on the last day. So I only had a day of a day of walking. I mean, I did walk for bits during the run otherwise, but not for a solid 80 kilometers like I had to do that day. Wow. So it's interesting you're saying you couldn't run anymore. And the, it sounds like the challenge wasn't that you're, you're not saying your body was in so much pain, you know, that you can run. It's that you were frustrated. And that's really interesting to me because it sort of sounds like it was that 
that mental side of not actually being quite as where you wanted to be rather than it being some sort of pain challenge, for instance? Well, it was a physical pain that stopped me from running more like an injury. So I physically couldn't run. Yeah. And that frustrated me. I mean, I wasn't just walking because I had to, because I wanted to walk. Like I physically couldn't run. And then, yeah, that just irritated me for the last 24 hours. (laughs) Minor irritant. Yeah. (laughs) So what helps you overcome that challenge, you know, rather than, I don't know, throwing in the towel, you don't strike me as someone who throws in the towel and we'll kind of get to more of that later. But what gave you that mental attitude, perhaps to keep on going or to keep on going with vigor and to still, you know, go as fast as possible, even though you could only walk? I think the fact that the finish line was literally within reaching distance. And I knew that if I just carried on going and didn't sleep for the night, that I would get to the finish line the next morning. So for me, I think it was having it so close at that point was quite easy just to, just to carry on going. Cause you know, if it had happened in the middle, I don't know, it might've been different, but yeah, because it was, it was so close and I knew I would finish. It was a case of just walking, just putting my head down and getting through it. I just love the the casual nature. It's like, oh, if I didn't sleep, you know, no biggie. If I didn't sleep, and it would be, I, I am now quoting, as everyone will have just heard, quite easy to to do this eighty k, which is the most I have ever run in a day. And I, you know, most some people who are listening to this know I'm I'm quite fit generally. I'm I'm not international standard. Most I've ever run is eighty k, and it broke me. And you're just like, well, you know, done eleven days, eighty k, quite easy. Carla, where does this mental strength come from? I don't, I, I don't know. Someone else asked me this the other day and yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I guess it's kind of, I guess, layered upon me from like lots of different things that I've kind of done throughout my life. Like I guess as a child growing up, you know, I think I ended up going to about 10 different schools because of my parents' jobs. So like moved around quite a lot. And then I went after university, joined the army and through a year of basic training there, I guess you get other elements thrown in, the challenges that the army brought up. And then I've kind of thrown myself into, I guess, lots of different jobs and different pathways. And and in terms of running and racing, I've just kind of built it up over the years doing harder and more challenging things. And I guess it's probably all of those things added together which put me where I am today. Were there any specific moments that you kind of were dealing with a challenge that you weren't necessarily sure you're going to be able to overcome and after that you kind of were like I'm tougher than I thought I was? Well there's things you know like I've as well as doing well at things I've failed at a lot of things as well Mm. and then when you look back at those retrospectively and try and figure out why you failed you draw the positive from it so I guess a couple of years ago with five other guys we did this run where we tried to run 90 kilometers a day for 20 days and on the last day do this ultra run called comrades but (laughs) yeah well we didn't finish it on day five I ended up tearing my quad and then by day six all of us were injured in some way shape, (laughs) and then we just tried to like 
change the goal and try to just run as much as we could for the rest of the run. But it's funny, having finished this run, which was so much harder than that one, looking back going, oh, I'm sure I could have finished that if mm. I'd put my mind to it. But I guess it was doing that one and failing at that, which let me believe and achieve this goal. This is just a conversation that's littered with extraordinary sentences. <laughs> 90k a day for 20 days. Yeah, that's what I do too, honestly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so failure, I think, is a, is a fascinating one. And it's interesting that you bring that up because when you look at something like what you're doing and you have achieved, you know, running from Land's Engine of Groats and breaking the world record, I should have said, I, don't, I think I omitted that detail, but <laughs> minor detail, breaking the world record. In those occasions it seems like everything is successful and it sounds like your um, attitude towards failure, you know, you're drawing positives from it. Were there other failures that really stick in your mind that sort of then drove you onwards? I guess it's just all the little ones that, that are added together that, you know, like I did this other race, which I really wanted to finish up in Scotland and I ended up having an issue with my foot and it was like so painful that I like couldn't, carry on so you remember like your body has an extraordinary way of like forgetting pain but you still remember oh my god that was so sore that it made me stop the race and you know when my legs were hurting in this run I was like well it's not making me want to stop it's just sore so Mm. yeah I, I guess it kind of they all build upon each other when you say your body's got an extraordinary way of getting pain you're not talking about in the moment no, like, so when I was doing the jog, it was so painful. Like every single step hurt. After lunchtime on the first day, like I managed to get to that because you're fresh and you're feeling good. Mm. You then stop, your body seizes up. And from then onwards, every single step hurt. But now I'm like, I remember doing it at the time thinking, this is not fun. There was nothing fun about what I was doing. But now I'm like, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> It was so much fun. Right. Everyone's like, did it hurt? You're like, yeah, a bit. And I'm like, no. <laughs> like your body just takes away the pain so quickly, which I, I don't know. I, I just find that fascinating how our minds work. Yeah. They they kind of got a very selective filter going on. That definitely reminds me of some races I've done. And I'm like, yeah, that was fantastic. And you do the next race and you're like, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is really uncomfortable, really painful. Yeah. You're saying, you know, two things. One, it was not fun. Like it, and mm. it was every step is painful. What kept you going? I think the fact that I was going for a record and yeah. I'd set myself this challenge and I had told everyone that I was doing it, that keeps you moving forward. You know, to me, I was like, well, it almost felt like, well, this is like a little job that I've set myself and I need to finish it. Um, And I think having such a lot resting on it, I had a team of seven friends and family that had given up two weeks of their time to come and help me. And, you know, just for that alone, I'm like, well, I can't stop. You know, these people, like one of the guys had left his six week old baby at home because he, well, I don't know if he wanted to escape, but, um, (laughs) and he thought he was going to get more sleep (laughs) with us, but you know, like everyone's given so much hocker had given me shoes and noon and cliff had helped me with nutrition and garmin given me a watch all these people have invested in you so you're like mm. well i've just got to suck it up and just keep on going 
to what extent are you someone do you think who's motivated by the goal rather than the process because this is a, something i've come back to myself mm. many times reading like rich roll's book and he's you know talking about if you're just aiming for the goal then and you're not enjoying what happens on the way well then there's always going to be another goal and another goal but at the end of the day we live in each and every day and we've got to enjoy that so to what extent are you someone who enjoys the process or to what extent are you someone who thinks the goal is worthwhile I think both and I think for me I agree with what Richard says but I also think for me as an athlete there's like a time and a place for both I think I really enjoy being able to go on adventures that are slower where I can just have my backpack and I can stop for a sandwich on the side of the hill and I can yeah really enjoy that process of what I'm doing with putting a challenge element into it also I do really like pushing my mind and my body to see what it can do and if you are pushing yourself to your limits it's not enjoyable at the time you know you've just got to you've got to accept that that's part of what you want to do. If you want to take yourself to another level or set something that's really challenging, it might be really difficult along the way. But once you've finished it and you've got the goal and you've beaten the challenge you set yourself, then you get the rewards of, of what you've just done. So for me, it's trying to find that kind of balance between those two in my life. And for you, what has been the biggest reward of doing this run? And why is it meaningful? Well, one, I didn't really understand how big Le Jog was and how many people do it. Like, it is actually insane. Even when I was just doing it, we must have had about 20 cyclists pass us. We saw an amputee pushing himself along the road. There was another guy walking it barefoot. There's a guy running it, trying to get a really fast time. And I've had so many people like message me asking for advice for their trip. And for me, that's like an awesome thing that's come out of it that I can actually help people and share, give them some of my time to help them make their lives a little bit easier. Like I got in touch with people that had done it before me and they really helped me. And it's nice that you can now pay that forward. But I didn't really realize the extent of how many people actually do this challenge in so many different ways, shapes and forms. It's, it's awesome. Mm. I did it back in 2013. I cycled from Lansing to John O'Groats. And back at that point, I thought I had sort of done a great effort on the bike. And I th you know, think for me at the time it was, and I'd managed to do it in seven days. And that just makes me think it's all the more remarkable you did it in just 12 days, because I was, I felt I was doing some pretty big mileage. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, seven days is shifting. <laughs> Yeah, I was pretty tired at the end of it. There yeah. were some, there were some long days in there. And in, in terms of the, it's you know, it sounds like you were very motivated by going for the record. Now that you've got it, what does that mean to you? I don't know. It's really cool. You know, it's probably like the biggest thing that I've achieved in like my running career. I haven't got my certificate yet from Guinness, and I'm <laughs> very excited when I'll get that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's. Yeah, it's a really nice thing to have done. And when I know kind of what went into it, it's, it's more meaningful. And so you clearly have showed some immense 
mental strength and physical strength as well, which can help you achieve these these goals. How does that translate into other aspects of your life? Can you use lessons and determination that you've got from ultra running and apply it to times when you don't have your trainers on? (laughs) I guess I do. I mean, you know, I probably haven't had like a straightforward career where I've left university and gone into the same job and just stuck to the same thing. I've kind of tried lots of different things and bounced around a bit. And I guess some of that probably comes from you know some of the stuff in running where you know things might not work out or you might not like what you're doing and for me it doesn't matter like you can change your mind and you can do different things and I always think things will kind of work themselves out and everything will be all right and guess you know some of that probably does stem from going on adventures and living in that way that's probably a bit more relaxed. I am in a position where I don't have kids or anything like that that I have to worry about and I can chop and change jobs and I know there's a lot of people that are not in that position but yeah I think it kind of gives me a sense of of freedom in my life. They kind of work hand in hand I guess. So you're saying from the running races and um, big runs and adventures that you've done when things are going have gone wrong and you being able to get through them sounds like when it comes to your professional career you're like well it doesn't have to be straightforward it doesn't you don't have to exactly know how you're gonna get the next job it will sort of take care of itself one way or another yeah you've got to put in the work but you know if you want to change your mind and if you want to stop or you know if you want to dig deep and carry on in work and push through like a hard patch then you can like I think there's a lot of pressure on people sometimes to be like no you have to go and do the same job for 30 years because that's what our grandparents did. I was recently chatting with another athlete and um, she was saying that you know it's in some ways it's a very selfish thing to do right you know training to a very very high level you put a lot of time into the training I presume and when you're doing these events, you're doing the jog, you're focused on nothing else really apart from running and enduring. How do you balance the, the selfishness that is necessary to be a high level athlete with, you know, be, being a good friend, partner, contributing to other aspects of life? Well, for me, that's why I like running because I used to do triathlon and I found when I did triathlon, It took up so much of my time. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing with running is that you can do it anywhere. I don't need to drive and find a swimming pool and I don't need to do three sports in a day. You know, I find it a lot simpler that I can just chuck on running shoes and go and do it anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I don't really feel far doing a project where, yes, everything is focused on you and like the goal is to keep on running. I think in my normal life, I tend to balance it quite well in terms of, you know, you make the sacrifices to get up early and you go and run before you go and see your friends and before you see your family. And I do make sure that I do see friends and family. And I'm lucky that a lot of my friends are runners, so I can see (laughs) them whilst running. Um, So I think it probably can go into that selfishness maybe when you have a family and when you're then, you know, you're away from your children. But yeah, I guess I don't have children yet. So that's not really 
mm. a consideration. You know, maybe it is a little bit selfish that you could have had children earlier, but, you know, there's no point thinking about what you could have done. Um, <laughs> yeah. I certainly relate to that in that I know that if I exercise and I find running for me is amazing, cycling is also great, that it makes me a, I have more energy, I have more enthusiasm. So for me, it's, I think there is a balance. If I think I started running three hours every day, I'd probably just be knackered and grumpy. I think some level of running, you need that time for yourself Mm. to recharge, um, re-energize. That makes you a more positive person for Yeah. And I think everyone has something in their life that they do that is for themselves. And if they don't, then you should, you know, you should have that time for yourself. You should be able to go and sit and read a book for an hour in the corner and no one talks to you or make a loaf of bread or go for a run. And I think it is really important to have that time where you're just with your own thoughts and can enjoy your own company. It's kind of, I think, almost one of the biggest fallacies that, you know, you should work if if you want to help the world around you or other people around you, you should be just focused on that to the exclusion of all else. To be the best version of yourself, you need to look after yourself. And and that requires having that time to whatever it is, you know, relax, bake bread, take up knitting, whatever it might be. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very intrigued. You've now got, you know, a significant amount of publicity from from doing this uh, obviously you know, different sponsors involved you've got your instagram account you whether you like it or not are now a, a role model and people will look up to you for what you've achieved and perhaps particularly female athletes do you identify with this as you see yourself as a role model and um does it present any challenges for you in how you then might act Yeah, I think I'm definitely aware that mainly because people have sent me messages, you know, saying that type of thing. And in the beginning, you're like, oh, my God. Um, But yes, you you do have to be conscious about, you know, what you say and how you say things. But I think, you know, it's awesome if I can use running to help, you know, motivate someone to get outside and just start running or if someone asks me for some advice um, about how to get started or what to do or how to do a crazy project or a little project like I think that's awesome Um, you know to be able to share that with other people to get you know girls in particular into sport more is um, is really important to me like I've always been sporty so for me doing sport has just been a natural part of my life but I know for a lot of girls it's not a natural thing and you know if something that I do can help them you know spark something inside them to be like oh I'm gonna do a challenge I'm gonna do one girl messaged me last week and she's just done 10k a day for 10 days to run 100 kilometers which she's like oh it's not as big as yours and I'm like it is like Mm. for you you weren't a runner and you've just Mm. gone and run hundred kilometers like it doesn't matter where you are like for you it's a huge achievement and I think you know if I can spark people to go and do something cool then yeah I, I 100% really want to use that as much as I can. I agree with you so much about um, it it being a the, the distance run isn't the same as the size of the achievement and I think 
I really think this every time I do a park run and you see, you know, people all different speeds some some walking, some running, some jogging. And for me, the people who achieve the most and are most impressive are the people at the back because they are the people who, although they are not runners, you know, in a one sense of the word, for them, the challenge is so much greater. And if you're at the front and you're feeling good and you're running hard and you know you're running hard and it's something you love, well, you've already got all the reward there. So I think it's so much more impressive for the people who it's not something that at this point they're amazing at or feel amazing about, and yet they're still doing it. And to me, that is a much, much greater achievement. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, for someone to just go and do 5K that has never run 5K in their life is, is huge. You know, for me to go and do a running project, I'm a runner. So it's what I do. <laughs> yeah. It's stupid, some of the stuff I do, <laughs> but it is what I do. So, yeah, and I think like everyone's achievements should be celebrated. Absolutely. Talking about you, you're very passionate about how to get girls into sport. What are in your mind, the biggest stumbling blocks and how can we overcome them? It's really difficult. I think it does kind of happen when you're at school and it's something I noticed and my sister now is a PE teacher and I think she notices a lot as well. It's it's just that kind of age that you go through, I guess it's probably like 14 to 18-ish. But I think, I don't know, a way to overcome it for me is showing them that there is so many different sports i think at school you're given netball hockey football rugby that's your sports and you're like okay cool where there's swimming and dancing and yoga and hiking and there is so many different things and i think it does stem from school opening kids eyes up that it's not just those competitive sports that you can do you can go and do yoga you can go and do ballet you can go walking is great like going for a hike and you know I think for me like getting a range of different things like that into the curriculum would be an amazing way to even just even if they don't take it up at the time you know you plant that seed and then when you're in your 20s you're like oh I remembered hiking up that hill at school that was awesome and that's probably what it would do more you know they might not do it at the time but i'm sure it would kind of lead to people being active in different ways when they're older Mm. so when we can sort of broaden the definition of i guess sport and exercise and realize that uh, that there are just so many ways of being active and you know outdoors broadly this reminds me of um, charlotte roach who was on the podcast early on and she said something which I really liked. Um, exercise is just a fancy word for movement. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're working towards at the end of the day. Just moving yeah. a bit yeah. more. Exactly. Moving and just getting outside. Like I think that's, you know, we're, you work in your house, you sleep in your house, you eat in your house, like everything is done inside. And I think anything that can get you outside is a good thing. Absolutely. Carla, it's been really fascinating chatting about your record, your the mental side of things, how we can get more out outdoors and active. I ask every guest, what are their favorite, almost significant place, piece of music and book? Because I kind of want to leech off your knowledge and uh, know what I should be listening to, what I should be reading, and uh, perhaps where I should visit. So where is your favorite place? 
So I guess my favourite place, it's actually a, a thing, it's called the Tour of Mont Blanc and it's this circular route that goes around Mont Blanc. So maybe we can say Mont Blanc is the place. Um, nice. But it's this walking route that's about 160 kilometres all the way around it and it goes through France, Italy and Switzerland. Like if anyone wants to do it, it's a really well-marked path. The whole thing's signposted, you won't get lost. And yeah, it's just... It's just beautiful. Like you're in the mountains, you're in the open air. There's, yeah, Mont Blanc, you kind of look at it the whole way around. And for me, it's, it's one of my favorite things. I've done it a couple of times and yeah, it's, it is one of my favorite things to do. I've heard some amazing things about it. Mm. Some other friends have done it and they're just like, it's incredible. It's on my bucket list, even more so now. What is your favorite piece of music, Carla? <laughs> Probably Queen, Don't Stop Me Now. <laughs> nice, love <laughs> Just it. a bit upbeat and fun and yeah, it's a cool song. <laughs> <laughs> when is there a time you like listening to it most? Uh just any time just to you know if before you're going for a run like I don't listen to music when I'm running so before I go for a run I tend to to listen to it, get you in the mood. Nice. On that point, if you don't listen to music when you run, I'm sure a lot of people might be wondering, do you get bored? What do you listen to? Or do you, what do you occupy your ears and mind with? Yeah, no, I don't get bored. I think I probably just take in what's around me, just the birds and the trees and the cars if they're whizzing by. And yeah, I just think about random stuff from the day or things that I've got to do. A lot of the time I actually cannot think of anything when i get to that point that's quite nice where you're just running hard to do but yeah it's really interesting you're saying this because i don't listen to music when i run and for me it's my my headspace my meditation letting the thoughts sort of bubble up and settle mm. down and so i never listen to music because it's just that sort of quiet space where i can mm. sort my mind out and wondering what the hell i'm doing with my time so mm. <laughs> and your favorite book so yeah, one of my favourites at the moment is Endurance by Alfred Lansing, which is about, you know, Shackleton going to the South Pole, which is, yeah, a cool story. I think he was probably, you know, the focal point was kind of put on Scott at that time. And he was the one that actually got all his men back alive. And yeah, it's a, it's a really cool story about leadership and inspiration. Is there something particular from that book that you kind of look at and go, Shackleton, he's really got this? <laughs> I think it's having the ability to know when to stop and when to carry on. And I think, you know, if you're doing big projects like this, there's time, like I, for example, went and did the Three Peaks Challenge. And on our last climb, we ended up in a snowstorm at the top of Snowdon. Mm. And I had to make the call for us to turn around. And I'm so glad that I did, because when we got back down, we could see on our tracks that we were at the edge of a cliff. Oh, and, God. Yeah, it was, it was pretty scary. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, knowing you've got to have that feeling within yourself. Actually, no, this is now a dangerous situation. Back down the hill we go. And everyone was like, no, we're only a kilometre from the top. It's like, no. <laughs> That's really fascinating, particularly when you've gone so far. You've already invested yeah. so much and it, it feels like failure. But it's yeah. really just being, being sensible. Carla, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating 
hearing about what goes on inside and driving you on to some pretty crazy but amazing challenges. Thank you so much for joining on the Facing Up podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. (laughs) And that was my conversation with Carla Molinaro. Now, I just feel that Carla was so understated with the immensity of her achievement. I wanted to share my own experience from a couple of weeks ago. I ran 118k in a day down the small Carpathians, the Malikarpati, just to the north of Bratislava. That is 72 miles, the most I've ever run in one day. It took me the whole day. I started at 6.30 in the morning. I got there at about quarter to 10 at night and I was ruined, okay? Now, let's just put this into perspective. Carla ran 70 plus miles, 12 days on the trot. This is just a next level thing. I think I'm fit and, you know, doing quite well. Carla is on another level. It is just the most immense achievement. and I feel very lucky to have chatted with Carla. I really hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Carla. And thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you next week. Bye bye.